my dad had a garden my whole life, right? And not a small one, probably like a half acre garden. I don't even know if you call that a garden at this point. That's a small farm, but yeah, get what I'm saying. He tells this story a couple times a year where he was bound and determined to not pay for potatoes one year. Never grew potatoes. He always grew like corn and tomatoes and cucumbers and other stuff. Potatoes weren't on his list. He went through the whole process to grow tomato or potatoes for this whole year, and he figured up his costs. It cost him $6 a potato to grow his own. And I'm not saying that's the case for cannabis home grow, because we know there's lots more margins in that. But it took him work and time and effort and care and resources and, and all of these things. The average person just doesn't have the time for that shit. Like... Mm -mm. And if somebody wants the right to do it, let them, let them, particularly with weed. Weed's a lot harder to grow than a potato or a tomato or yeah, a cucumber. The majority of people are going to try once or twice and say, F that, I'll go down and buy it at the store. Yeah, which plays right back into my point. You know, why are you fighting it? They're not, they're not confident in their abilities as a company. They're not confident in their abilities of their employees. They're not confident in their stake in the world and oh i wonder why that's because you guys don't support any of the initiatives the actual cannabis community supports like social equity and home grow and you know like open license caps and all kinds of things that you know real people who care about this as medicine or as a safe alternative to some other drug care about and that's not even to say when you're in somewhere like texas where you guys don't even have it yet and that's mm -hmm. like that blows me away that we still have places, we still have places in the United States where you can go to jail for it. And then there's other places in the United States that you can walk down the street smoking a joint and nobody will look twice at you. Yeah. And like, what happened to the whole United part? Welcome back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. In this episode, I talk with Brett Puffenbarger. Brett is someone I met via LinkedIn. He is a pioneering entrepreneur and co-founder of a cannabis business consulting firm called Good Ideas. For the first conversation we've ever had, Brett and I had no problem jumping right in on the subject of cannabis in the U.S. Let's meet Brett and listen in on the conversation. Hello, Brett, and thanks for joining me here on Grant's Place. Thanks for having me. Really, really been looking forward to this conversation. Likewise, I think we're going to have a good time. I think we will. So what do you what do you know about me and the podcast and how I got started? And, and I always like to start there. Not a whole lot. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more. I'm, I'm one of those people that when people are like, you want to do my podcast? I always say yes, no matter what, because I like talking, especially if it's about weed. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, now I started uh, advocating in uh, 2016 here in Texas and and at the national level uh, due to what I learned about it started about cannabis and epilepsy because I had lost a son in in June of 2016 to epilepsy and uh, he had come to me about six months before he passed away and asked me you know hey pop what do you think have you heard these stories have you know what do you know and I said I'll be honest with you kid Uh, which I wasn't at the time he asked the question but I had yeah, I said, I'll be honest with you. I smoked that shit for 26 years, you know, every day. But I don't know a damn thing about it, you know. I said, but if you want to, you know, try it, you want to look into it, we will. And I said, I can definitely tell you where to get it or get it for you, whatever we need to do, you know, if you want to try it. And what it was is he had had um, seizures as a kid. They developed when he was about nine, nine and a half. And... Um, the hope at that time, because there were no signs of epilepsy, right? The hope at that time was uh, that he would grow out of it because he had this one random seizure. You know, he hadn't had another one between that one and the time we got him checked out into a neurologist and, and everything. So uh, the consensus was he probably fell into that group of kids that manifested, you know, at preteens and then when they start go through puberty and get over puberty and pretty much grow out of it. We kept our fingers crossed and decided not to medicate, right? We didn't have another one for 18 months. And then he didn't have an, he had another one uh, probably five or six months after that. Then it was three months. Then it was another year and a half, you know? Uh, And uh, it was just sporadic. There was no pattern to it, you know, or anything. And, um, after he started driving, he uh, he wanted a little more reassurance that it wasn't going to happen, you know, behind the wheel because it was not frequent enough that they kept him from getting his driver's license, right? Right. But he did have one behind the wheel by himself on a country road, wrecked his truck, but he was fine, didn't, you know, didn't hurt nobody else. Only Only property got damaged, right? But it scared him. Mm. And, and so uh, and so he came to me one day and said, hey, you know, will you help me? And of course, I wasn't going to argue. You know, kid asked me for help. I'm going to help him. Right. So we got him to another doctor. They, they, of course, did all the tests again. Still absolutely no signs of epilepsy. But they started him on a low dose of Keppra. And the immediate effect was now we have a pattern. Right. They went from sporadic to now he's having them about once every six months. So when he went back for his checkup, uh, they upped the dose a little bit. It had the opposite effect of what they were shooting for. Now he had them every three months. So they changed medications. Now it's every two months, changed it again. Now it's every month to the point of over the course of a five and a half year period, uh, he was having them two or three a week, you know, and, and his were always without warning. You know, a lot of people, you hear the stories, they have auras or, or this, that, the other see flashing lights or whatever, you know, they smell something, they taste smell something. something. Yeah. 
something gives it away that it's coming. You know, he never had anything like that. And uh, it just wham, full grandma every time. And uh, of course, he had one in June of 2016, and that that was it. That was the last one. He was getting ready for work that morning, and and that was it. So after he passed away and we went to his service, his mother came over and sat down because we'd been divorced since he was like three and a half. So we hadn't had a real close relationship for a lot of friggin' years, right? We had the, the, the most in-depth conversation we'd had probably since since we got divorced that day. And it in, involved the whole marijuana subject with epilepsy. And she brought it up. She's like, I tried to get him to try it. Blah, 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 you know, and so that got the wheels turning, right? And I came home, it was an hour and a half drive from where, where the service was to here. So I didn't say a word the whole way. All I did was think about a wonder, you know, wonder what there is to this. So I came home, changed clothes, sat here at my computer and just typed in epilepsy slash marijuana and hit search. And the first thing I found was the study done by Dr. Gene P. Davis and Dr. H. H. Ramsey right here in the United States that had a better than 50% success rate treating epileptic children. Mind you, it's only five kids, but that was a start, and it was 1947. You know, you think about the difference between technology and extraction and what we know about the plant and the components and everything today or in my mind at the time, 2016 versus 1947, I got pissed, right? Right, yeah. Uh, so then I dug more, and the more I dug, the more I got pissed. And uh, I had to turn that anger into something. So uh, I started making videos. And the first thing I did was uh, I put one on YouTube, and that kind of was just out there, just sitting there doing nothing, right? So then I thought, well, I'm on Facebook, we go look in and make a Facebook page. So I started a Facebook page called Something Has to Change and Now. And it's got a little over 16,000 followers right now. Uh, goes up and down. But I got over 100 videos on there, you know, that I made. And I did that for the first couple of years while I was still doing a lot of research. When 2019 came around and uh, I started lobbying down in Austin. And, uh, of course, got hooked up. I, I got hooked up in 2018 with DFW Normal. I spoke at the uh, 2018 DFW March, Marijuana March. And then uh, that was pretty exhilarating from from just having it all bottled inside for two and a half years, you know, right at two years. So then I went to, uh, you know, got affiliated with Texas Normal and all the groups in, in Austin, started advocating there. And even went to D.C. in 2019 with National Normal and lobbied in D.C. But, of course, with COVID and everything else, I haven't been back to D.C. But after this last session, I'm just, you know, there's always a letdown after you get, get through that process, right? So I just got to thinking uh, through, through June and July, and they're talking about special sessions to do the redrawing of the districts and all that. And I just got to thinking about it, and I'm listening to some buddy of mine that's got a podcast, and I thought, you know, why don't I just start a podcast? So <laughs> that's what brought me to here. 
uh, hopefully it'll keep on gaining some ground, you know. Uh, like you say, I can't help it. Having fun conversations with cool people, right? <laughs> sure. You know that. Well, yeah, that's that's part of it. But believe it or not, it's still a lot of work to put it all together and put it out there. <laughs> Especially when uh, I got an income that that's pretty demanding of itself uh, in the project management and construction industry is what I do for a living. So, you know, I manage a. 20 to 30 million dollars worth of work constantly in the middle of doing everything else I do but this is a real passion project for you you ain't got the time but you're doing it anyways well uh but that's what I was going to say my boss one thing I have to say about my boss is he knows I do devote a lot of time to this I mean he's not against it he's all for it you know and he always has been I mean he he doesn't use cannabis it's like people would be surprised by that that aren't like in the industry, we we surround ourselves with people that are consumers, right? Like they're mm-hmm. they're always like everybody I know consumes cannabis pretty much, minus a few people who can't for work or you know family members. But I I think the thing that really strikes me is when you go to rural places, when you go to the south in anywhere, right? I, I live in rural Virginia. I live in a town of eight thousand people in the middle of the mountains, born and raised hillbillies everywhere you go. Most of them are very pro-cannabis. They might be pro-Trump. They might be very right-wing, as as expected in a rural area, but they're also very pro-cannabis. I imagine the same thing is true in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee. Like, There's definitely a growing acceptance, and it's not just potheads, right? It's professionals of everything from construction to lawyers to doctors to nurses to you know whatever you name it i guarantee you there's a couple of very successful people in that career field that are either a consumers or b you know somewhat regular consumers on vacation that just want to feel better right like and isn't that the goal is to make it so normal that you know you can sit down with your joint rather than your glass of wine that is the point uh among other things, you know, I mean, there's, to me, there's two sides to it. There's, there's the, of course, the adult use or recreational side, as you want to call it, uh, which is more what you're referencing there versus your glass of wine. But there is most definitely a medical side to it, without a doubt. I think there's four I mean, sides. If I were going to break it down, I've got recreational, 21 and up, smoke them if you got them. We've got what we have now for medical in a lot of states, you know, true holistic medicine, mind your business, it's medicine. And then, of course, there's industrial hemp, right? Like plastics mm-hmm. and woods and fibers and all of that. I think the one that that people are are up in arms about all the time is the true medical, like the isolated ingredient in a pill form, singular cannabinoids doing a specific thing, like melding the two. Right. Like figuring yeah. out where holistic Eastern medicine or whatever you want to call it melds with traditional Western medicine in that way. And I think that's something that we're getting toward. Right. Like we're eventually going to end up with hopefully all four pathways kind of laid out. At least that's my hope. That makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... My, my biggest concern, no matter how we get there or, or whether we get there or not, my biggest concern is that we've got to have some form of home growability, in my opinion, for it to truly be 
100% free the way it should be as any other plant that we can grow at home. Oh, without a doubt. I've, I've used, um, so I, I don't think anybody is surprised when people compare cannabis to alcohol in the vice industry sense. But I think there's an even more apropos comparison that can be made in that alcohol is the only other industry we know of that came out of prohibition, right? Mm -hmm. Like no booze. And then one day somebody snapped their fingers, did their little wiggly politician thing. And now we have booze again. Mm -hmm. But the difference that came out of that is that post alcohol prohibition, there was an 84 year period where homebrew was illegal. You could go buy it from specific vertical operators. You could go buy it in a bar. You could go buy it at the ABC store, the liquor store, the beer store, whatever you have in your state or town, right? Like we have the ABC yeah. store here. And then something happened a couple of years ago that a lot of people kind of saw fly under the radar. And that was the legalization of homebrew, meaning people could go brew their beer at home. A small business owner could go pop up a craft brew. And what do we have in every corner of America? It doesn't matter what town, city, state, county, who cares. We are full of craft breweries, craft mm -hmm. distilleries, craft beer bars. Like I, like I said earlier, I live in a little tiny town in Virginia, and we have four or five where they brew their own in a big old style modern barn on the side of the mountain. And you can sip your whatever Virginia's best booze is that they made. But the point in that is that homebrew changed the alcohol game. Now all of these craft breweries and craft dispensaries are making noticeable change to the bottom lines of Anheuser-Busch and Coors and PBR and all of these you know, large alcohol producing companies. But yeah. what we also now have is when I walk into my local grocery store, I have more options. Mm -hmm. I have better options. I have options that suit my, I'm not an alcohol drinker, but I've walked by the damn aisle because, you know, it's in the grocery store. I see more. Five years ago, six, eight years ago, it was five or six companies and a few different options from each one and maybe mm -hmm. like a little tiny corner with some like IPAs or whatever fancy booze they had out there these days. Now it's half and half. There's half an aisle of, you know, bullshit factory beer and there's half an aisle of this is the one from Tennessee I've been hearing about. This is the one from Maryland I saw the other day. I think yeah. the same thing applies to cannabis, right? So like if we look at that as a as a model, why don't we just skip to the home home cultivation part? Why don't we just skip to the part? And if we really want to get into it, like maybe I grew up in a different era, who knows? But to me, entrepreneurship has always been the lifeblood of America, right? Like that's the American dream. You start your business, you build your business, you provide a good life for your family, you retire, you move on, you pass your business on to the kids, right? Like we've all heard the story. We all got pitched it when we were kids. Well, home cultivation or homebrew, regardless of which industry we're talking about, allows for innovation. And innovation allows for experimentation or whatever order you want to put those in. Those two things allow for entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship allows us to have the benefits we just saw happen to alcohol for us. So like point blank, why the hell wouldn't we have it? And that's not even to get into, that's just looking at it from like a money 
sense, right? The people who mm -hmm. are against it are afraid of it because they think they're going to lose their money. But when I look at it, that's a sustainable industry. We're mm -hmm. not even getting into the, what about the cancer patient that needs to grow so much weed they need to juice it? And if they were mm -hmm. buying it at a dispensary, there was a lawsuit in Florida. Joe Redner sued to be able to home grow cannabis at his own house because he had you know, stage four, I think it was colon cancer. He required he would have had to spend like fifteen thousand dollars a month at the dispensary, yeah. or he could spend five hundred dollars a month and juice the damn weed and put it in, you know, put it in his his smoothie in the morning. Mm -hmm. the, he's not alone. There's hundreds or thousands of people like him. What about the people who just like to grow and you know want to be free because it's a non-toxic, non-addictive plant that isn't gonna hurt anybody? I can go out here and buy a poisonous plant. Right now, I've got one in my basement. I'm a big plant nerd. I've got a plant that if I cut it up and put it in my drink, I would get very violently ill. That's not the case with cannabis, but I'm allowed to have my poisonous plant all day long. No questions asked. It makes no damn sense not to have it in every way, shape, or form, regardless of the four paths, minus maybe, you know, pharma, because who cares what they think at this point. The other three, I should be able to grow at home. I should be able to grow at home for whatever reason I want. And I should be able to, not only should I be able to grow at home, I should be able to grow a reasonable amount for my needs. I get very frustrated. So like I live in Virginia, right? I'm very fortunate to have home grow in our current adult use laws. Mm -hmm. I'm limited to four plants. Yeah. That's not gonna get me through. You tack on my wife, you tack on a friend or two and you're done. Like that, that's not enough. I, I hate, so not only do I want to see home grow, I want to see home grow in reasonable amounts that people could actually use to be functional, like, you know, yeah. 12 or 15. Yeah. Sorry yeah, to get on my high horse. That's just no, a, it's all right. It's, it's all a right. talking point that gets me fired up, man. <laughs> it, it gets everybody fired up and it should, you know, I mean, it, the, those people that you talk about, um, those companies that are worried about their profit and everything that are that are against the home grow idea, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of money spent up in New York a year or so ago for that very thing. And uh, what they don't understand, is, it's a simple philosophy that I like to explain to people. Of course, you know, I grew up on a farm, so it's where it comes from. But uh, what what they don't understand is they're always going to be a market for their product. There's always going to be the majority of the market for their product, just the same as big alcohol, or just the same agriculture, just the same as vegetables and produce. You have the ability to grow all that in your in your backyard. Every single citizen in the United States can grow everything they buy at the grocery store that's grown from the ground in their backyard. But how many people in your neighborhood do you reckon got a garden going in their backyard? My neighborhood might not be a good answer for that, but I get what you're saying. I can tell you the majority of them nationwide are probably less than 20%, probably. I'd you know, say as far as an that. average. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm being generous, you know, just for argument's sake. I mean, and, look at, and, even look at something like uh, New York City or Detroit, where they have the community gardens, and they put a mm -hmm. community garden where you have 15,000 people who live stacked on top of each other in a neighborhood, five people, 10 people tend to that whole garden. It's not like, we're not talking mass a gardening appeal, like 
people like watching Martha Stewart do it. They don't actually like doing it. And they don't realize how hard it is either. It's not like, I'll never forget this one. So my dad, I grew up in rural Virginia. I've mentioned it already. My dad had a garden my whole life, right? And not a small one, probably like a half acre garden. I don't even know if you call that a garden at this point. That's a small farm, but yeah, get what I'm saying. He tells this story a couple times a year where he was bound and determined to not pay for potatoes one year. Never grew potatoes. He always grew like corn and tomatoes and cucumbers and other stuff. Potatoes weren't on his list. He went through the whole process to grow tomato or potatoes for this whole year, and he figured up his costs. It cost him $6 a potato to grow his own. And I'm not saying that's the case for cannabis home grow, because we know there's lots more margins in that. But it took him work and time and effort and care and resources and, and all of these things. The average person just doesn't have the time for that shit. Like, mm -mm. and if somebody wants the right to do it, let them, let them, particularly with weed. Weed's a lot harder to grow than a potato or a tomato or yeah. a cucumber. The majority of people are gonna try once or twice and say, F that, I'll go down and buy it at the store. Yeah. <laughs> Which plays right back into my point, you know. Why are you fighting it? It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They're not they're not confident in their abilities as a company. They're not confident in their abilities of their employees. They're not confident in their stake in the world. And oh, I wonder why. That's because you guys don't support any of the initiatives the actual cannabis community supports, like social equity and home grow and you know, like open license caps and all kinds of things that, you know, real people who care about this as medicine or as a safe alternative to some other drug care about. Yeah, the, re reasonable tax rates and, and... Right, all of the stuff we care about. And that's not even to say when you're in somewhere like Texas, where you guys don't even have it yet. And that's mm -hmm. like, that blows me away that we still have places we still have places in the united states where you can go to jail for it and then there's other places in the united states that you can walk down the street smoking a joint and nobody will look twice at you yeah. and like what happened to the whole united part like <laughs> yeah guys it, it, it's it's just mind-boggling to me at this point i mean california legalized medical in 1996 and it's what year is it again yeah, uh, it's insane. At any rate, coming up on a decade of adult use legalization in what Colorado, we're coming up on 20 years in Maine. We're coming up on 20 years, over 20 years in California. Mm -hmm. Coming up on 25. We just passed 25 in California. Like, yeah, I mean Washington, Oregon. What what is it? How many states now have? Recreational. 30, I think it's 38 or recreational. It's like 14. And yeah, I think the eight have some form of medical. Yeah. And Oklahoma's medical might as well be recreational. From Oklahoma, what I know of it. Oklahoma is a little chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got they've, they've got some growing pains going on there. From what I've been reading about. You would think that that would put pressure on Texas, you know, like. We're seeing it right now with Virginia having legalized. We're seeing Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, all the states that are regionally similar to us in culture mm -hmm. are all going, huh, they did it. It didn't blow up. Maybe we should. <laughs> like, 
Well, that's the thing. That's the key thing that boggles my mind is how many states have done it now and hadn't blown up. In fact, 90% of the propaganda of what's supposed to happen hasn't either hasn't happened or the exact opposite has happened. You know, so why? Why are we why are we even still having these conversations? It doesn't doesn't just doesn't compute in my mind. But uh a lot of a lot of the things uh are answered by uh the same thing that same reason why nothing else gets done in this country on a national level. And that's that's the gridlock, the R's and D's and he said, she said as I like to call it, you know, while they're on, on camera, but they're rubbing elbows behind closed doors, you know, they're all the friggin' mm-hmm. same. And, and the American public George has bought Carlin into that. They're I, on one team and we ain't on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and the American public has bought into it. That's the sad part about it. The hook, line and sinker. We've got to be on one team or the other. And that's, the exact wrong. Yeah, we well, I'm sorry. That's exactly right. We gotta be on one team or the other. We gotta be on our team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we gotta tell them who they work for. And we've forgotten how to do that. You know, it's nuts. I'll be anyway. controversial on that one. I think we as cannabis advocates have failed in a lot of ways. Or advocate isn't even the right word. Activist is the yeah. right word. Because I would say advocate talks and activist produces action, right? Like we're going to use that as a line between the two. Something I noticed early on, because I started as an advocate or an activist before, I guess I started as an advocate and then I moved into being an activist and then I moved into being part of the industry, meaning making money at it, right? Like making it part of my career. And something I noticed very early on in legalization in Florida, because that's where I was living at the time, is that we as activists had this very adversarial relationship with politicians. Mm-hmm. And that's to be expected. I feel like a lot of people have adversarial relationships with the politicians and they get stuff done. But something that I noticed that came out of that is we spent a lot of time in Florida and we're still spending time here in Virginia as the laws are coming, talking at the politicians rather than talking with the politicians. And I noticed something in in a common thread. We had a whole series of of happenings in Florida where all of these localities debated on banning dispensaries, right? Like county after county, city after city was like, oh, you gave us a loophole to say no. Let's see if we want to say no. And then it turned into rulemaking sessions. You know, how is the state going to allow edibles? Because right now we only have vapes and tinctures or whatever. And a lot of what I saw was people not getting basic enough and not providing information. They were just talking at the politician. They would assume the politicians had read all of the rules or they had read all of the laws or they had done some research to form their opinion. And I've always sat back and I've always thought, how selfish of us to assume that a politician has time and and wherewithal to do the real research, right? Like, and and maybe that's a, a bad on them. It probably is, right? But let's 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 talk about the reality of the situation. They have some staffer that goes out and does the research for them. I don't care if it's a city council member through the president. 
they don't do their own Googling at this point. They pay somebody no, to no. pay somebody to tell somebody else to Google it, to give them a report, who then turns that report into a bullet point and a bigger report. And then they read one piece of paper because their whole day is full of getting inundated with bullshit. And I've always thought about that process, right? We've all watched yeah. enough politics shows over the years to kind of realize like, they don't actually hear what people are saying. They wait to get the report from the guy that they talk to every day who plays their filter, right? Mm -hmm. And something I noticed in all of the different legislative times I've spent with legislators or city council members or whatever it was, is that we would assume they had any idea. And I've always thought, why? Why do we assume that? Why are we hitting them with all of this stuff? And then I saw the beginnings of movement here in Virginia toward legalization. And I realized it wasn't happening in the way that we as advocates wanted it to, right? It wasn't happening by activists going up to city hall and pounding on the door and saying, legalize weed now, why don't you know it should be legal? It happened because their brother or their sister or their cousin or their aunt came to them over Christmas dinner and said, I started smoking weed maybe you should do something about this, right? It <laughs> happened in a very different way. And then once you see those couple of politicians who were open to it, it's proliferating it like a rumor, right? It's bringing them the information, packaging it into a dossier, not yelling at them, not telling them what they should do, just saying, I brought you some information to consider. I understand that the weight of being a politician is hard, <clears throat> maybe, depending on a politician, but I understand the weight of being a politician is hard and you are given thousands of things to consider every day. Just read this and make your best decision. And I've watched that be successful. So by no means do I think we have screwed up and by no means do I think that we should be chastised as advocates and activists for the way we've done it. But what I am saying is I, I think there is a I think we're starting to see that there is a new way to actually get the results we want, not just feel good that we, you know, we got it out there, but actually get to where we wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I, I agree. And we do a lot of that that you're talking about here uh, with Texas Normal. They, they, they actually put binders together. With That's awesome. All kinds of research and everything. Granted, the lawmaker themselves may not actually get that underneath their nose, but it's getting underneath the nose of those aides that you're talking about, you know, and they're 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 gonna have to say, look, you know, boss, there's actually a study on that, you know. Right. And, uh, I mean, didn't your governor just come out and <clears throat> he doesn't think people should be in jail for cannabis crimes anymore a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, it's kind of headline about that. He well, it's he said the same thing six years ago when he was running you know he's 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 in a pretty heated battle right now for the, even in a primary he's being primaried pretty heavily uh this go around which i don't think he even had a challenger last time but uh he's got several several challengers on both sides of the aisle going after his position this time around so he's going to spew everything he can so i don't put a lot of now that being said if we could get a bill to his desk, I think he would sign it. You think so? I don't think he's going to put forth that he wants a bill for legalization. 
you know, he's not going to put it out there that he's pushing for a bill and bring this to my desk, that kind of thing, like you see from some governors, right? But I think if we ever got a bill to his desk, he would sign it. And I say that because, number one, he signed every bill that we've gotten to his desk so far on the medical side of things, right? Uh, and I think if we had gotten a decriminalization bill that was was a pretty good one that was gotten flew through the House last year and sat on Dan Patrick's desk, our lieutenant governor. See, I don't, I, I'm not that familiar with other states, how things work, but here in Texas, the lieutenant governor presides over the Senate. Basically, he's the president of the Senate, just like the vice president is at, at the national at level, the national. right? So he makes all committee assignments. So if a bill comes to the Senate, whether it's entered by a senator or it's a bill that comes over from the House, it has to go through his desk. And he decides if it goes to a committee for a hearing or not. And then if he does say, okay, you can have a hearing on this bill, and it comes about as passed from the, the, the committee, then he still can say, that's all right. We're not going to vote on it. One man shouldn't have that kind of power. No. But he does. And even with the, 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 the latest medical expansion that we had, you know, our teacup program started out, it was ridiculous at best because, number one, it was for only intractable epilepsy, only one condition, intractable epilepsy. And uh, it was 0.5%. Uh, THC was the maximum THC you could get out of it. Uh, Where do they now, get these numbers? Uh, all... Well, and that's the thing about it, too. It's not even not even just 5%. It's or 0.5%. It's by dry weight, which is even more ignorant. So at any rate, this last expansion, they tried to increase it to a full 5% by dry weight, and uh, they added a bunch of conditions, but old Danny Boy Patrick's like, no, we can't go to 5%. I'll go for 1%. So if you change it to 1%, I'll let it go through. So they legalized hot hemp. Got it. Basically. <laughs> now, that being said, they're growing full-blown cannabis, full-blown, you know, with full THC potency, the whole nine yards. And they're, they've figured out how to formulate it, where now they even have 20 milligram gummies available in our medical program, which is as good or better than, than most other medical states. That's all you have is edibles. Gummies or tinctures is all you can get. You can't get flour here, you know. But it's actually starting to help people now versus it was minimal at best before, you know, so. Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey y'all, are you enjoying the guests and subjects Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know Gramps does this all on his own? No production team and no producers, just Gramps. Please consider making a monthly contribution to help Gramps continue to do what he does in an effort to educate, agitate, and motivate millions to get involved. 
It is as easy as clicking on the link in the show description that says, support this podcast. It can be as little as 99 cents per month. As always, Gramps thanks you for listening and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest. It has gotten better, but you know, why even have a, a, a limit on it? In the yeah, first? I, I mean, we're seeing that even in established states like Florida is still fighting whatever they put 10% THC caps. Like, mm-hmm. who, a, who could grow for such a specific amount if we're talking about flour? And b, why do I need seven steps? to get to a usable product when the thing coming out of the ground is safe. I don't, I don't get it. I don't either. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but anyhow, we kind of dove right in there uh, instead of doing the normal introductions and all that good stuff. That's all right. Be all uh, right. But uh, you, you mentioned uh, that you work in the industry now. So, uh, kind of tell our tell our listeners a little about yourself, your background, and what you're doing now. Oh man, uh, I am currently a co-founder and managing partner at a media marketing and public relations company called Good Ideas. Um, we do all of that fancy stuff that makes people look at your products. Uh, we also have a pretty neat partnership for retail sales training for existing dispensaries through a partner organization called Progress Retail. Uh, and then coming up a little bit later this year, we're going to be launching a culture uh, course, like a executive leadership and coaching kind of thing about how you can actually make sure your employees are in the right roles, how you can communicate with your employees better, how they can communicate with you better, all of that stuff. Um my background's pretty simple. Uh, born and raised in a one-stop light town in Virginia. Left as soon as I could to get away, like every kid from a small town does. Uh, except my dumbass joined the Marine Corps and thought that was a good idea. Um, did three deployments in the Marine Corps, got out, and didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Eventually found my way. I was uh, working at Harley-Davidson as a director of business development, selling Harleys and Harley apparel. And... Uh, I found cannabis kind of like most veterans do. You know, somebody was like, you're kind of being an asshole. You should smoke some weed. I hear veterans do great smoking weed. And uh, I did. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do. I had to, you know, YouTube how to make a gravity bong in a bathtub because I was broke. And all I had was a two liter and a socket and some gum. And it changed my life. Right. Like I I went from a a non-functional PTSD ridden you know, Iraq and Afghanistan veteran to a decently functional member of society. And when I lost my job at Harley for failing a P test, uh, I got smart and I called the co-founder of one of the first cannabis companies in Florida. And I said, hey man, I was good enough to sell you a motorcycle. Can I sell some weed for you? And the rest was kind of history. So I opened the first dispensary in Florida, made the first legal sale there. Uh, built a couple of retail dispensaries there for them. Um, 
spent a couple of years uh, first as the director of public relations and then as uh, eventually interim CEO of one of the largest veterans cannabis charities in the country. Uh, I've been a director of marketing for an extraction company. I've been a VP of corporate initiatives for a cannabis and blockchain company. Um, and eventually I landed at Founding Good Ideas. Uh, got a master's degree in public relations and a bachelor's degree in media communications. Uh, and I'm probably LinkedIn's favorite resident shit talker of all things cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you definitely put a lot out there on LinkedIn. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> so uh, one could say, as you sell yourself as bridging the gap from bong to boardroom, that you concentrate on the cannabis industry at this point in time, right? Yeah, that's all we do. Uh, open to psychedelics and other kind of alternative medicine worlds, but cannabis is our bread and butter. Okay, cool. You're also involved with something called Project Mongoose. You want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Uh, so <laughs> my time in the cannabis industry has been interesting, to say the least. And I came up with a phrase a couple of years ago that I used to throw out there in conversations uh, that I said, grass attracts snakes. And it sounds very simple, but really it's the truth, right? Any emerging industry is going to attract a couple of specific groups, but one of them are going to be the people who got run out of their existing industry, right? The bottom feeders, if you will, of the world. And that combined with the chaotic nature of cannabis, you know, 38 states with 38 different sets of rules, new states legalizing, states changing rules. Yeah. There's a lot of wiggle room uh, for bad actors to do bad shit. And once you're in the cannabis industry for a little bit, uh, you stop having not cannabis friends after a while. Uh, they kind of drop off like flies and you end up realizing that most of your friends, most of the people you talk to, most of the people you confide in, are your peers. They work at a competitor, or they work at the company down the street, or they might work in another state or even another country, but they're mm -hmm. weed people, right? Yeah. And yeah. I've had a couple of interesting moral run-ins in my time in cannabis from uh, terrible leadership to flat-out lies from company leadership to just sketchies. A company wanted to sell equipment they knew was stolen and they wanted to pass it off. Mm. Not. I've had people want to sell stuff out the back door. I've seen all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. And kind of pairing that up with the fact that after a few years in cannabis, all your friends are cannabis, you start hearing stuff, right? You hear it around the water cooler. You hear it at the smoke session at the industry event. You hear it. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of sat back one time and I was like, well, we all know the industry is full of snakes and we're all talking about it behind closed doors, right? We're talking about it with our friends, our colleagues, our coworkers. Why aren't we talking about it in public, right? Like if, if we're all here for the same reason that I think we're here for, because we want our grandkids to major in cannabis in college. We want an industry that's here in 30 or 40 or 50 years. We want a sustainable long-term thing Shouldn't we be fixing these problems, not just sweeping them under the rug and acting like they don't exist because, quote unquote, we don't want to hurt the image of the industry, right? Isn't that sure. how you set yourself up for failure like tobacco fell into when they ignored all of the stuff they knew was wrong with their products? Like, yada, yada, yada. So mm -hmm. I realized at some point, A, 
I don't give a shit if people don't like me, if they don't agree with my moral standings on things. Mm. And B, I married the plant, not a company, not a movement, not an organization. I, I, I jumped hook, line, and sinker into the industry and into advocacy and activism first because of the plant. And I care about the plant first. Then I care about making money. Then I care about, you know, some other stuff. But that's that's the reason I'm here. Uh, so I decided one day, you know, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to start saying all the stuff we all talk about in private, in public. And what I what I found was a whole lot of people just needed the encouragement. If I was willing yeah. to take the heat for them, they would comment support. They would offer their own version of that story. And then I sat back and I thought, well, how do we fix this long term? How do I prevent the next crop of cannabis entrepreneurs from getting screwed over or having such a hard time as I did? Right. Because at this point, I've watched people from big corporate jobs to entrepreneurs from other industries walk right into the industry and walk right out the other side because it sucks. And that shouldn't be the way it is. Right. We should be a destination. This should be yeah. great selling weed and it's legal. This should be great. This should be cool. This should be like a thing we're proud of. And there's a whole lot of people who aren't. And it's not the stigma that makes them not. It's the bullshit in the industry. So we decided that the best thing we could do is, A, let me take the heat a little bit, and B, collect these stories with a purpose, right? So we've been collecting stories for a little over a year now that are horror stories from all segments of the industry, all legal states and countries. I have read and heard stories from countless people about just ludicrous stuff that's happened in the industry, right? Like absolutely batshit crazy things that like, if I didn't hear it from them and I didn't, they didn't have proof or they didn't, you know, weren't able to back it up, I'd say, yeah. dude, you just lifted this off a movie script. Was this a B, <laughs> you know, a B drama movie on Amazon Prime? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, so the goal with Project Mongoose is A, to have the hard conversations in public, right? To have them out in the open to, for the betterment of the industry. And B, uh, eventually what we're gonna do, um, and we're working on this right now, uh, is we are going to take these stories and marry them up with an expert in that particular industry segment. So if it's a cultivation horror story, we're gonna have a master grower or a master horticulturalist come in and talk about it. If it's a, a banking or a broker joker thing, we're gonna have people who do due diligence and vetting, you know, professionally do it. And we're gonna build it into a field guide uh, for future cannabis entrepreneurs. And it's gonna be called Grass Attract Snakes, uh, the entrepreneur's guide to succeeding in the cannabis industry. And, and we're gonna, we're gonna take these stories and turn them into allegories, right? We're gonna take these horror stories and try to make something positive out of them so that all of these people's pain cool. and suffering and bullshit isn't for nothing. It's to help the next generation. Cause I think the common thread that I've had with every person I've talked to that submitted a story is that they just hope it doesn't happen to the next guy or girl, right? They just yeah. don't want it to be that. And do any of them regret being in the industry? Not that I know of. Do all of them wish that they had had a better time in it, that it was what they thought it was gonna be, you know, bong rips and high fives when they walked in the door? Of course they do. And are we ever gonna be perfect? No. Are there always gonna be, you know, shady jerks and, and douchebags abound? Of course, every industry has a couple. 
but can we make it a better place and, and help people navigate it a little better? I hope so. Yeah. Well, uh, is there uh, a place where, I mean, are you still collecting stories or? We are, or... yeah, we're still actively collecting stories. I'd say we have about 70% of what we need uh, because I'm not trying to encourage it, right? I'm not trying to say I need cultivation horror stories or I need this. I want it to be organic, right? I want yeah. people to feel comfortable unsolicited to submit their stories. So we're still waiting on a couple to, to flush it out. The The idea for the book is to break it down by industry segment uh, and kind of, you know, that way. So we're still missing a few key ones in, in key segments of the industry, which is to be expected because some are bigger than others uh, and more shady shit happens in some than others. Uh, so we're still waiting on stuff. We're still collecting them. Um, Grassattractsnakes.com is where people can submit the stories. Uh, they can cool. do it anonymously or not. Uh, if you do it anonymously, don't put enough information that you're the only guy in the country that has that. I've had yeah. that a couple of times where they'll tell such a, a vibrant tale and I'm like, man, I'm going to have to cut a good bit of this out or else you're the only guy that could, could be, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Some people don't realize that, that what they're doing when they're doing it. <laughs> sometimes. And we're trying to be cognizant of that, right? Like I'm not yeah. trying to... I don't want people to feel unsafe submitting stories and I don't want people to end up hurting themselves trying to do the right thing because really what they're doing is whistleblowing and we all know how that goes you know Edward Snowden Julian Assange a list of people who have whistleblown yeah. different things absolutely so okay um I gotta ask you this question uh which I probably already know the answer but where do you see the federal legality of cannabis in the near future? Do you see any movement on the federal front? I don't. Uh, I am. I wish I did, but I don't. And I'll back that up a little bit. I think part of that is that the government and the people with the lobbying dollars haven't figured out how they can make sure they profit over, over it as maximum amount. Because, you know, mm -hmm. the almighty dollar rules America. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of part of it. Uh, I think part of it is just inherent to the wheels of government. So we've had some really interesting movement at the federal level, the MORE Act. We've had the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. We had whatever the Republican bill that somehow was better than the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, even though everybody wants to tell you Republicans are anti-weed. Uh, yeah. So there's like, you know, we've had some things, but... Let's be very honest about it. Not, none of the proposed legislation is very good. It's a start. It's a starting point. And in particular, the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act, that's a draft bill. That isn't intended to get passed. That's intended as like a, a temperature check on the general public and the industry and the relevant stakeholders. Uh, so any of those, if they were to eventually make it to law, it's going to be a couple year process. So yeah. even if we had a functional government right now, like, <laughs> uh, and that is not a condemnation of Joe Biden. That is a condemnation of all American politics for the last 10 years. Thank so, you. I'm right but, there with you on that one. <laughs> that is, I don't care which party they're from. I don't care which seat they sit in. It's all a clusterfuck. And that's just how it is. It's lots of gridlock and arguing and pontificating and feather fluffing and people, whatever. Uh, so even if we did have a fully functional government, even if this was, you know, the Congress of the 1980s that got stuff done, or at least yeah. so I've heard, 
Yeah. We're, we're two or three or four years from legalization in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Tack on the chaos that is if we if we break down the inefficiencies of the government. Well, the Democrats aren't going to do it because they're trying to do everything they can to hold on to power. And the Republicans aren't going to do it because they want the power back and they don't want to lose that small subset of their voting block that is still anti-cannabis, yeah. right? So neither side really has uh, incentive to make this a priority, at least not right now, because we're going into midterms. Like, you know, it's early in the year, but election season starting for the midterms, there's going to be some shakeups, and then we're right back in the cycle for presidency, right? Mm-hmm. So. I don't see anything happening until we have a either a new president or a reelected current president, uh, one way or the other, at the end of this term or you know whatever. Uh, so at the end of this term, I could see some movement happening, mostly because the wheels of Canada's Administration Opportunity Act, More Act, Safe Banking Act, all of that stuff uh, would time up appropriately with. Now we have two years of breathing room before the next election cycle kicks off for whoever's in the White House when that day comes. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where I see it maybe happening. And that's a big maybe. But if we're just you know logically breaking it down, that's the soonest I'm expecting it. You know, 2024, 2025. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just is, right? I. I I think in between there, though, we're going to see at least five or six. I think by the time it goes federally legal, we'll have 45 states legal, and there'll be a few holdouts like Idaho or, God forbid, Texas. Lord help us all. That was going to be my next question. What what, what do you think are going to be the next states? that uh... Uh, I got to have hope that North Carolina is going soon. Uh, And if one Carolina goes, the other Carolina goes. Sure. So... Uh, I would say that with Georgia going semi-legal and some heavy lobbying dollars being spent there, with Arkansas being legal, with Virginia being legal, there is some major pressure on the Carolinas. Uh, I also think we can talk about the success of their hemp program Mm -hmm. being a huge economic boon for the state. There's some movement there, right? Uh, so yeah. I think I, I think the Carolinas are are high on my list. I think we're going to see some of the flyover states start doing it, uh, and I hate to call them that, but you know the Nebraskas of the world, the the big square guys in the middle, because Missouri did it, and they're have they have a they're having a rough time, but they're also seeing some rewards there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think that that's pretty much all we have left, because that leaves Texas which you've already kind of laid out why that's wishful thinking at best. Um, Mm -hmm. I could see some of the other Southern states doing it. I I think Louisiana has ample reason. I mean, could you imagine New Orleans with some weed involved legally? Mm -hmm. We all know that, you know, we all know it's there, but uh, so I I think there's some, some incentive there for like tourism and increased excitement or, I can't imagine how much fun I would have if I could go on one of those like haunted bayou tours with a joint instead of alcohol. So, yeah, no kidding. Uh, hey, Louisiana, legalize and you'll get at least one tourist, two if you count my wife, that want to come. <laughs> uh, 
I think we're going to see some medical states go recreational. I, I yeah. think that's likely, right? Um, yeah. Past that, I think it's, you know, who knows at this point. Well, the thing about Texas is uh, we we've got to get past the next elections because we don't we don't get another chance until uh, 2023 as far as the next legislative session. But uh, and of course, you know, we we don't have ballot initiative here. They took that away from us in the 70s. Uh, you know, we you have cities and counties have ballot initiatives, but at state level we don't. That's, That's a- not allowed. <laughs> I'll I'll be I'll I'll let you in on a little secret from somebody who lived in a legalized state through ballot initiative. Mm-hmm. It is not as good as you think it would be if you had the ability. Oh, I know. I, I've like, I've, there's there's been several works, stories I've heard. But it's uh, once you pass a ballot initiative, you got to pass another one to change it. And what ends up happening is they make the ballot initiative so. How do I want to word this? In any other industry in the world, if it doesn't say it's illegal, it's legal, right? In cannabis, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't say point blank, it is legal, this is how it's legal, do these things, they're going to assume it's illegal. And we didn't think about that when we passed the first medical amendment in Florida. And then we ended up with just chaos sense and yeah the industry's up and running and there's big players and money and blah 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 but it's been a nightmare for patients there to try to keep up with the chaos and and i would almost be willing to bet and this is (laughs) i'll get controversial for a minute i would rather wait a couple of years and legislatively pass it than ever live through constitutional amendment legalization again yeah and you're not and the only one I know that come from. I get it. Like for people that are like waiting for it today, but it's it is opening a Pandora's box if you do it that way. Yeah. Well, I I, I agree. <laughs> I only bring it up just because you know that's one of the ways that it does happen in a lot of places, and we don't have that here, and so it just feels like that every two years is even worse because of that fact. We can't do anything other yeah, than just and other than just keep sending letters and emails to our lawmakers. And, you know, of course, now with the election, we're, we're getting geared up for primaries and try to get a few people switched around and see if we can't get a different lieutenant governor and maybe we can get some progress in 2023. That's our goal right now is get a different uh, lieutenant governor elected. That's going to be... Thank you. We need it. (laughs) Uh, What, in your opinion, can the average person uh, do themselves that maybe they aren't doing to further the legalization conversation? You know, I'm going to take a very different answer to that than I think most people would give, because I think the the standard answer is write letters, educate your congresspeople, throw rallies, live a better life as an illegal cannabis patient and be honest with your friends and family and those around you. Be an example of what a successful stoner looks like. Participate in the most basic form of civil disobedience you can and be a better person whether they say you should be or not. I didn't tell my parents. I worked in the industry. I've been a legal consumer 
or an illegal consumer. I'd been a consumer, period, for several years before I mentioned it to my parents. And you know the day that it changed? My mom said, man, your life seems like it's going a whole lot better than it was a couple of years ago. Like, what did you do different? And I mm-hmm. I just kind of threw it out there one day. I was like, mom, I've been smoking weed. And she, she laughed. She goes, yeah, I know. Like, you work in the industry, I assume. But is that really the answer? And I'm like, yeah, it is, right? And I mentioned it at the beginning of this. Like, I'm a born and bred hillbilly from the mountains of Virginia. Like, we're not that different than your average Texan or Tennessean or Kentuckian or, like, you know, you you get the picture I'm painting. Mm -hmm. And they were so supportive. Now they think it's hilarious. Now, you know, my dad calls me the king of cannabis at work and all of his friends at work know that is my title in their mind and like so so my answer to what people can do is live your best possible life and tell people that's why give the plant some damn credit and tell people the truth on an individual basis change doesn't happen on capitol hill immediately change Mm -hmm. happens when grandmothers are supportive change happens when soccer moms when the factory worker, when your supervisor, when the cab driver, when the, you name it, when those Mm -hmm. people are on board, right? Like, so to me, that's, that's the biggest thing people can do. Spread the word to the people closest to you. Yeah, because they will spread it from there. They will. Number one. Yeah, word of mouth is is the best advertising. It always has been. I, I made a meme several years ago, and I still share it on a regular basis on Facebook. I need to I need to bring that one over to to LinkedIn. But it's it's come out of the closet. You know, let it be known. Quit being in fear of being judged because being in fear of judgment, you're judging yourself anyway. I know so many people with so many qualifications. Like people that sound like Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones when you talk about, you know, PhD in this and master's degree in this and a bachelor's degree in this from this place. And they've been the CEO of that thing and this thing and these awards. And then it's like, and I smoke weed doing it. And you're like, that, that's what we need, right? Like that's, yeah, that's what a stoner yeah. looks like. It's like those, uh, I mean, obviously I'm covered in tattoos. So this is a, a an obvious observation for me, but like, in the tattoo community, they have all these pictures of like the guy and it's, you know, like the picture cut in half and he's in his white doctor's robe on one side and then he's in a sleeveless shirt with his sleeve tattoos in the other picture. Mm -hmm. That same thing applies to cannabis, right? Totally different stigma, but it's still fighting the stigma. If only Mm -hmm. people would realize that like, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow, purple, green, blue, red man woman transgender tall short fat skinny who cares it doesn't matter if you're a janitor or a ceo or a lawyer or a doctor or an airline pilot like people are getting relief and living better lives from it and the more that we put that out there even in your day-to-day life like in in your immediate community people would be surprised right like I've had a few instances of that in my personal life that have really shown me that that's the way. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you two of them right now. Uh, so one of them is my mother-in-law, my stepmother-in-law, technically. She's, you know, a 70-year-old far right-wing Trump supporter, right? 
And when we first met uh, a couple of years ago, when I was dating, you know, first started dating my now wife, uh, you know, her, her and, and my father-in-law were very anti-cannabis, right? They were like, oh, these potheads and, you know, lazy stoners sure. and this and that and the other. And years went by and, and I would go over and help him with projects. And I remember one time we had a brush hog and we were brush hogging like a half an acre. And I busted my ass for like three or four days, 12 hour days, like blistered and bleeding and sunburnt. And she was like, were you stoned that whole time? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, and you did all of that? And I was like, yeah, I do it. Every, I do it every day. That's my everyday life. Like you haven't met me not stoned. And then a couple of months later, it was probing questions, right? I didn't throw it down their faces. I didn't, you know, I'm a weed guy and you should be too. It was yeah. for her to ask. And it was, you know, well, what kind of conditions do you think that would treat? Like, do you, do you think it would be okay for me? A couple months later, it was, can I, can I try your pin? Can I, can I hit your weed pin one time just to see what it feels like? I haven't smoked weed since college. It's been 50 years. Uh, yeah, sure. A couple months later, it's, you know, I think I'm going to get a medical card. A couple months later, we're on the drive down to Florida, and I get a text message, and my phone lights up, and it says, you know, her name. And I look down, and it's a picture of her medical card having come in the mail. And she said, you're going to be here in a couple hours. Will you take me to my dispen to the, to the dispensary for the first time? Right? Like, yeah. now, all of her, like, you know, right-wing Trump friends that she talks to, all of her women's groups and all of these things... She's like the weed lady, like half of the country <laughs> has become cannabis people, right? Like she has had a, a tangible effect on her peer group, Absolutely. all because she learned over years and years that like, that's what it was. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Another big one is uh, my brother is married to a very religious person, like heavy, like she grew up in a missionary family living in China like okay. doing mission work, like very, and when we first met, she had that same vision, right? Like all, all potheads are gross and it's a drug or whatever. And over the years, she's seen me help with my nieces and nephews. She's seen me come by their house and help with things. And just a couple of weeks ago, I, I got a text message and my phone lit up and I saw, you know, I saw her name and I was like, hmm, I wonder what she wants. Cause we're not friends, friends, right? Like we talk, but it's usually, yeah family stuff and, mm -hmm. you know it's usually in the family group chat and i remember looking at my phone and i pulled it up and it was a youtube video and it was dispensary or church and it was a list of names these two guys were sitting there and they were reading these names and it was whether they thought it was a dispensary or a church and it was like elevation oh that's got to be a dispensary nope it's a church and i was like oh, this is a moment like this is that moment where our 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 cultures met, you know what I mean? Where like her life mm -hmm. is like a, a very religious, devout person who works at a church, who goes to church several days a week. And my life as a cannabis guy, like, look, we have an overlapping moment of humor and understanding and a lack of judgment. And to me, those are obviously anecdotal, but I wonder. I wonder how many people their lives have changed because we had that little conversation. And I wonder, you know, does it does it spread out? Obviously it has to. Like most of the country knows weed's okay. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah, no doubt.
you know, you talk about it, like the point you made is how many doctors, lawyers, scientists, you know, businessmen are just like you and I, you know, I mean, think about it. I was, I was 20 years old, went to work for a retail company in their warehouse, pulling orders, boxing shit, putting it on a truck, you know, and two, two months to the day from the time I went to work for them, they promoted me to assistant store manager and moved me halfway across the country. The whole time I was smoking weed every day, you know, oh. <laughs> and I went from there to uh, assistant manager in two stores. And in less than two years, I was a general store manager for him at the age of 21, you know, Great. running, running a 35,000 square foot retail store, you know, uh, everything I've ever done. I've been successful at the same way the whole time being a pothead, you know, pothead's not a bad thing. It's stigma because, you know, but it's not a bad thing. <clears throat> it's a falsehood that, that we've come to believe as, as a people that like you say, the way we get rid of it, I think is like, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. People coming out of the closet, telling their stories, showing that, Hey, I'm an everyday person doing everyday life, just like you. And I smoke weed, right? I think that's the key, man. It's the it's the little stuff, you know? Like, I, I think about the story you told me at the very beginning of this. What if you had had a couple of people come to you and tell you how much it changed their life personally? What if you had other people in your life that were supportive of it? How different the world could have been? And, like, how do we prevent tragedies like that in the future you know what i mean like i'm i think it's pretty apropos i'm literally my shirt says it all cannabis mm-hmm. saves lives and it's not just in the ways that a lot of people think it is it's mm-hmm. it's even the destigmatization right like the legalization of cannabis makes it no longer a black market ordeal. There's no longer a criminal element to it. A dispensary looks a lot more like an Apple store than it does a Coke deal on the corner these days. Yeah. And that's saving lives too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the normalization is changing the world for the better, even for non-consumers. Mm-hmm. It's another meme that I share all the time that I love, uh, but it shows uh, an old man and woman or an old man helping his wife basically out of the car with her walker outside of a dispensary, you know, and it says, I can't think of what the exact wording is or anything, but it basically the reality of medical cannabis is what the whole meme is about. Right. You know, because you're right. That's what it's about. It's about helping people. It is. Ultimately. Uh, I want to really want to thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, join me here on Gramps Place. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been a very fun and stimulating conversation. Absolutely. You can find Brett and his company, Good Ideas, at goodideas.net. And also, you can find Project Mongoose at grassattractsnakes.com. Gramps Place where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victims, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. 
Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.